Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Uh, foundational aspects of Christianity, which is the cross. And we've sung about it, and we're going to talk about it, and, and we're going to celebrate communion, which is this tangible reminder about the cross. And in fact, I would suggest that every single believer needs regular reminders. Regular reminders of the significance of the cross. The Apostle Paul knew this. Which is why he wrote a reminder to the entire church in Corinth about such things. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, top priority, right? What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So again, I I, I truly believe that starting 2018, it's fitting for us to focus in on the cross. We've just come out of the Christmas season where you remember and you celebrate, celebrate baby Jesus the newborn king in the manger. And that's fantastic. It's great and it's right for us to do that. But we also need to remember that baby Jesus grew up. And He grew up and He went to the cross. And He went to the cross for you and for me. Remembering that Jesus was born to die. He was born to die. And we will celebrate communion later on. But before we partake in communion... We're going to walk through Isaiah 53 together this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah 53. We're going to look at seven different truths about who Christ is and what He endured on the cross based on this chapter. My hope is that as we go through this passage, we're not only going to be able to appreciate the cross more, but be better prepared to also participate in communion later in the service. Isaiah 53 was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. It's a prophecy of of what the Messiah would be like, who this Christ would be, and what they would go through. The first thing that we learn in Isaiah 53 is, is a little bit unique, is that the Christ was not physically impressive. In fact, Christ was physically unimpressive. As you look at verse 2, since He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. So kind of in contrast to the heroes of, of movies and, 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 and movie stars and, and, and celebrities and, and all these types of things, Jesus was not ridiculously good looking. And He did not draw people to Himself because of His looks, because of His appearance. Rather in humility, He veiled His majesty He hid His glory and He chose not to stand out in that way. He was just a regular looking guy. A regular looking guy. And and it's interesting because in a world that puts so much value on appearance, on looks, on, on how you get yourself all together, Jesus was outwardly unimpressive. And yet at the same time, God in flesh. 
So you think about that. The Son of God, the most important person to ever walk on the face of the earth, would never ever be on the cover of GQ. Or Men's Health. He was a regular guy. And yet, he was and is the Christ. The Chosen One of God. The next thing that we learn in this chapter is that Christ was despised and rejected. Verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with, or, or translations might say, familiar with grief. This idea that He knows, He understands grief. He understands heartache. Jesus fully entered into the human experience. So we need to, a reminder, we need a reminder that Jesus knows what it's like to feel down. Jesus knows what it's like to be despised, to be rejected, to be betrayed, to be hurt. He's been there. He went through that. And because of that, He can sympathize with us when we face those things. Isn't it incredible that that you can relate to Jesus? Or perhaps more, more incredible that He can relate to you in your hardship, in your suffering? He's walked that road. Jesus isn't just some ethereal being out there in the clouds who's removed far from us. He's been there. He's walked through suffering. He's been despised. He's been rejected. He's been betrayed. And because of that, He's now able to help us as we face those difficult times ourselves. Moving on, Isaiah 53 goes on to say that Christ was wounded for our sins. Wounded for our sins. Verse 4 to 6. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Wounded for our transgressions. Some translations say pierced. Jesus, the Son of God, was beaten. He was whipped. And He was nailed to a piece of wood. Because of us. Not for anything that He did. Totally righteous. Perfectly innocent. Nothing He did. But for everything that that we've done. And will do. And as hard as it is, and as uncomfortable as it is, we need to be reminded of the severity of our sin. And the intense punishment that Jesus endured in our place. Again, as we come out of Christmas and into a new year, it's important for us to understand an aspect of why Christmas happened in the first place. John Piper has said it this way, that Christmas is an indictment before it is a delight. It will not have its intended effect until we feel desperately the need for a Savior. 
an indictment, an indictment on us, on our sin, that God looked down at the world and said, things are so bad that the only way to fix this is for my perfect only Son to go and be sacrificed for them. But as we've sung this morning, praise God that He did this. That this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you, Jesus, would come down. You would take my place. That you would bear my cross. That's why you declare. That's why we sing. That's why we declare as a church this morning, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. We deserve to pay for our sinful rebellion against God. But Jesus pays the full penalty for us so that we can be forgiven and free. Happy New Year. As we turn now to verse 7, we see that Christ faced the cross quietly. He faced the cross quietly. It says He was oppressed And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Does verse 7 mean that Jesus never made any sounds at all throughout the whole ordeal? Being beaten, being whipped, being crucified? No. We know from the Gospel accounts that he did cry out in pain, that he talked to the criminals that were on the cross there with him, that he cried out to God, that he he asked for a drink, that, that right before he died, he said, it is finished. So he spoke. So how can verse 7 say that he opened not his mouth? Is Isaiah going against the Gospels? Is Scripture contradicting itself here? I don't think so. Um, a good practice is to use the Bible to help understand the Bible. 1 Peter 2.23 gives us some clarity here. When He, Jesus, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Reviled, mocked, insulted, and He never spoke back in like manner. Right? That's what he's saying. He endured all the malicious comments of all these people who are mocking him, making fun of him, and he held his tongue with self-control. He even asked God to forgive the soldiers that were gambling over his clothes that they, they stripped off of him. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I've been challenged particularly with the last part of 1 Peter 2, 23 there, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's why he could stay quiet, right? Jesus knew that his Father was perfectly just. He knew that he didn't have to take matters into his own hands at that moment, right? He knew God was going to take care of this. And so I can be quiet. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to do anything right now to um, challenge my mockers. And I wonder how often we are, how prone we are to do the opposite. I I know that this is a struggle for me. I want to take matters into my own hands. I want to answer back. Right? You said that about me. Whoa, it's on now, right? I want to prove my point. I I want to get the last word in. 
Jesus didn't do that. He trusted himself completely to the judge of all the earth to do the right thing. It would be wise of us to do the same thing. For us to say, okay God, I'm tempted to fight back right now, but I'm going to trust you to handle this one. I'm going to trust that you are good, that you are just. And so Jesus endured the cross with a quiet trust until he gave up his life. And he died. And he was buried. As verse 9 in Isaiah 53 says, They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus really died. And he was really buried. Historically verified by a number of sources. Even though he was innocent, or it talks about there that his grave was made with the wicked. Why would it say that he wasn't wicked? Well, he was condemned as a criminal on the cross with other criminals. That's why they say, make his grave. He died with other wicked people. That's what it's talking about. And it talks about then moving on with a rich man in his death. What do you mean a rich man? Well... Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man who had this brand new nice tomb in the garden that Jesus then went into. And so the prophecy fulfilled again. But the point here is that it's critical for us to remember and to know that Jesus fully died. He wasn't partially dead or even mostly dead. But fully dead in that grave, in that tomb. But on the third day, by the power of God, gloriously rose again, conquering death. And the fact that He really died legitimizes His victory over death. Fully dead, but now fully alive once again. And again, I know Maybe 2018, you were thinking this is going to be like a real, like, motivational, inspiring message this morning, and, and it can get us kind of uncomfortable talking about the cross and thinking about the cross so much. But it's important for us to do it, and it's important for us to be reminded that the cross was God's plan from the start, and that Christ submitted to the Father's plan, which is verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So we see that there is a divine purpose underneath the human oppression and the human suffering that Jesus endured. The cross has always been the plan of God. Jesus was always going to go forward as an atoning sacrifice that would set sinners free from their guilt before God. This is the plan. And Jesus, being faithful and true, submitted to that plan. In the garden, the night before that he died, he was praying, you know, Father, is there any way? Let this cup pass from me. He had that moment of, of humanity, knowing how horrible it was going to be. Yet at the end of his prayer, he said, not as I will, but as you will. He submitted. I think if we're honest, we switch that around in our prayers and our hopes. We like to say, My will be done, Lord. My will be done, please. Jesus didn't say that. Your will be done, Lord. 
Could we as a church, individually and corporately, strive together for 2018 to say, Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. To wake up every morning, just, Your will be done. Your will be done in my home. Your will be done at work. Your will be done at school. Your will be done in my family. Your will be done with our, my friends. Your will be done with our church. Your will be done with our country. Can we trust God to do the right thing with our country? Your will be done. Christ submitted to the Father's plan. He was crushed by the weight of our sin. But thankfully, as we already know, death wasn't the end. God's plan also included resurrection. He was humiliated. But He has been exalted by His Father for His obedience and He has received the name above all names so that the name of Jesus every tongue would confess that He is the Lord. Every knee will bow to the glory of God the Father because He submitted to the Father's plan. As we conclude Isaiah 53, we look at verse 12, there's some massive encouragement for us. It's this idea that that Christ intercedes for us or that He stands in the gap for us. Look at the bottom, uh, the end of verse 12 there. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. To intercede for someone is to work on or for their behalf. So, I mean, if you have a friend who's sick and you pray, say, God, would you comfort them, bring them peace, would you bring them healing, you're interceding on behalf of your friend. Right? That's what that it means. And another meaning is that it can be an attempt to reconcile differences of, of people, of, of different groups, or even countries, for someone to mediate, stand between. Okay, this is what Jesus does 24-7. He stands in the gap. See, He's not only our Savior that suffered. He's not only um, the King who, who rules. He's also our High Priest who mediates between us and God and who secures our acceptance before God based on the work that He did on the cross. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6 says, There is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. This is good news. This is good news for a new year. I don't know what your 2017 was like. I know some things about some of you and, and there was some challenges, there was moments of joy and circumstances could have been really tough. And you know what? 2018, circumstantially, could be even worse. We don't know what's going to happen. Some of us will be like, ah, I can't deal with worse. We don't know. It could be really tough. There could be really hard things that are coming at us down the road, individually, as a church. We just don't know yet. But, we have good news in the midst of that. We need reminders. We need to remember that because of the cross, we have reason to celebrate. We have reason for hope. We have reason for joy. Because at the end of the day, we have a mediator. We have Jesus, our Savior, who stands in the gap for us. 
Yeah, praise God. 2018. Not to get cocky, not to get arrogant, but in some ways it's like, okay, 2018, I've got Jesus in my corner, so kind of bring it on, but not really. You know, like you, there's a little apprehension there. But if we take time to focus in and remember that He's our mediator, then we can face 2018 with hope, with confidence, with joy. And that's why we remember. That's why we celebrate communion as a church. As a church. Excuse me. Jesus was born to die. And He did die on that cross for you and for me. But Jesus is alive. Amen. Seated at the right hand of the Father. See, we don't, we don't celebrate and worship just some nice guy who happened to die and that was the end of the story. We worship and we celebrate and we remember the One who fully paid for sin, who conquered death. Our living Savior, our risen Rescuer, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And that's why we're going to continue to gather. Until He comes back. Or until He takes our breath away. We started this morning by talking about how, how much we forget how we need reminders for all sorts of things. And some of us maybe have made New Year's resolutions already. Some of you maybe have already forgotten what those resolutions were. Some of you maybe haven't made resolutions yet. That's okay. If you haven't, I have one for you. If you have, I have one to add. In 2018, Why don't we resolve, why don't we commit to spend time each and every day thinking about the cross? For 2018 to be a a cross-centered year. To spend time just thinking about the cross. And that can take a variety of ways. That can be reading, reading passages like Isaiah 53. Just thinking about the cross. It can be praying and just spending time talking to God and thinking and meditating about the cross. Thank you, God. Wow, this is that you would do that for me. That can be listening to songs, worshiping, declaring these praises about the cross. It can be journaling. It can be painting. It can be as you're walking the dog, just thinking about the cross. Sure. All sorts of things. I'm not going to prescribe how you do that. But you can do it. We can do it. Each day to spend some time just thinking specifically about the cross. The stats say that we're going to forget a whole lot of things in 2018. But whatever we do, let's be sure we don't forget the cross. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You this morning for the cross. We thank You for reminders about the cross. We thank You for sending Your Son to pay the price for us. We thank You that He didn't stay dead, but He rose again, and that there is hope, and that there is peace, that there is forgiveness from sin. That we can be brought into relationship with You because of what Your Son did for us. And Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning as we begin this year Please, Lord, would You speak to us, help us, remind us to be cross-centered, to think about the cross each and every day. Let us not forget You. Let us not forget the significance of the cross. And Lord, I don't know what's going to happen for 2018. We can't possibly know, but You know. 
and you are the judge of all the earth and you do what's right. And so we declare our trust in you to do the right thing. And we ask for you to help us to trust you in that every day when it's hard. Help us to remember that we have good news even when our circumstances seem like they're falling apart. We have good news. We have joy. We have hope in you, Jesus. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.